Fantastic. Today we are going to be wrapping up our series of thoughts. Um, if you've not been with us over the last few weeks, we've been really going through what it means to have this new identity in Christ. Um, if you've not heard the last few weeks, I encourage you to go online. I'm not going to recap. Um, I'm just simply going to say we have a new and true identity that is now found in Christ Jesus. Um, he lives in us. We live in him. And it's a whole new world. Old things have passed away. That moment we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the old has passed and the new has come. A new species of being was created in that moment. And it's through Christ now living in us. Um, I guess really over the last few weeks, I have absolutely loved sharing these thoughts. The reason I believe I've enjoyed sharing it so much is because the word of God has the power to change a life. And when we take hold of these truths, it has the ability to change us from being just a mere man or mere human to understanding who we are in Christ and becoming all that he called us to be. And I believe when we become all that he's called us to be, we will never walk around in life saying we're just mere humans or we're just a mere person. We will realize the value and what has been deposited in our life as Christians. And I believe that is so powerful and so important. I put this statement down. Our union to Christ means everything that is now true or was true of Jesus is now legally true of us because we are in him. That's an incredible statement if you break that down and consider that clearly. Our union to Christ means that everything that was true of Jesus when he walked this earth is now legally true of us because we are now found in him. If you break that down and consider that thought, it absolutely is mind-blowing. Because Jesus, when he was here on earth, was 100% man and yet 100% God. He was God in the flesh. And everything that he was in the flesh as a 100% man, walking in a 100% of who God was and didn't sin, didn't fail, didn't make a mistake, lived a perfect life, we legally have been made equal to that in this life. It's almost shocking to say, but it's true. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. If you're looking at your flesh, you will see your flaws and your failures, and you'll think, that can't be true. And very probably likely you're sat there thinking, when I was saying that, no, that can't be true. I look, look at the state of me. Look at this. Look what I've done. Look at how I behave. But when Christ looks at you, when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. Remember my... my, my here we go, we'll go back to it, just remind you, and for those who weren't here, if this is you, and this is Christ, the word become flesh, and you are in him, when God looks at you, what does he see? He sees Christ. He doesn't see, he doesn't see your flesh. He's made provision for your flesh, but he sees you in Christ, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. So throughout the the, the New Testament, we see over and over again. And I think it's in Ephesians alone. There are 56 
references to in Christ, in him, in whom. If you go through the whole of the New Testament, there are hundreds of scriptural references that talk about our union to Christ. So understanding this union, understanding that we are now in him and he is in us, is vital. If we don't get it, if we don't understand it, if we don't study it, we will be deficient in our spiritual growth and maturity. Because it is key. Key to our growth and maturity is understanding who we are now in Christ. Listen to this. Our understanding of redemption, restoration, recreation, righteousness, and reconciliation, all of those R words are dependent on our revelation of being in Christ. We may know in part, but when we have a realization that we are now in Christ, that when Christ looks at us, he sees Christ in us, he sees us in him, righteousness becomes a whole different attitude, a mindset. It's not in my doing that I'm righteous, it's in my being. I am righteous. If you're always trying to be righteous... That's you living in your flesh. If you're living in your new creation, you are righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is huge and affects every area. Listen to this scripture. This, this is just, again, one of those sila moments as we consider this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says this. But the one who joins with the Lord in spiritual union is one spirit with the Lord. You know, when, when a husband and a wife become one, they, when God looks at them, they are one. A husband and wife situation, you know, when Jane looks at me and Jane... It's like a wedding ceremony. When Jane and I got married, she came down as Jane Wilkinson, but she walked back Jane Wood. In fact, when the minister declared it, he said, I declare to you the wonderfully newly married couple, Mr. and Mrs. Jeffrey Wood. Jane's name suddenly disappeared because God sees us as one. Here, God sees us as one. He who joins with the Lord in spiritual union is one spirit with the Lord. This affects everything and every area. And we just need to keep reminding ourselves and bringing ourselves back to that place where we are God conscious, where we're God inside conscious, where we are living spiritual beings rather than being spiritual on a Sunday or being spiritual when we do a Bible study or being spiritual when we put a a CD on or a DVD on or we watch a podcast or whatever. We are spiritual beings 24 hours a day. When the driver in front of you cuts you up, you're spiritual. You may behave in your flesh. You may decide to be live out of the Adam side for a moment, not the last Adam, the first Adam, and you, you start shaking your fist and, right, I'll get my own back. You, it's just the flesh rising up on the inside. But if you take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, 
I am one spirit with you, what would you do? You'd sit there all day saying, okay, after you, after you, after you. And you'd have a big smile on your face and it wouldn't affect you because you are long-suffering. You have all patience. You, uh, you have extended love to everybody. Listen to these. To be one with Christ means everything that God is in Christ is ours. We live such a substandard to what God wants for us. Stop playing with the sparklers, Josh, please. So it says, I've put these scriptures and thoughts down together. As believers, we are created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10. We've been crucified with him. Galatians 2.20. We are buried with him. Colossians 2.12. We've been baptized into Christ and into his death. Romans 6.3. We are united with him in his resurrection. Romans 6.5. We have been seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. He dwells in our hearts, Ephesians 3.17. We are, the, we are the church. We are church, the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6.15 and 12.27. Christ in us, 2 Corinthians 13.5, and we in him, 1 Corinthians 1.30. We as believers are found in him, Philippians 3, 8 to 9, and we can do all things through Christ, Philippians 4, 13. And I could spend the next two hours going through every in Christ reality that is true of you. Yes, we were, were dead in sin, but we've been made alive. The resurrected life of Christ now lives in us. Whatever is true about Jesus is true about you. That, we just need the penny to drop, don't we? We just need the spiritual revelation of that truth. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of us. Why? Because he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Allow that scripture just to drop in your heart today. I am one spirit with him. I am joined to the Lord and I am one spirit with him. I think it's really interesting that Jesus wanted you and I and his disciples back then to get the same revelation. This is, this is, a, this is the revelation that the disciples and the apostles got, I believe, at that moment when Jesus was being caught up into heaven and returning into glory. I believe the penny suddenly dropped. And then they went into Jerusalem and, you know, I know it was Pentecost last week and they encountered the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then they went and did amazing things. But I believe, I believe they suddenly got this and yet Jesus had been drip feeding it in their life for months and possibly years. And I wonder how long it has been in our Christian experience that we've not quite got it. We know we're saved. We know we love God. But there seems like there's more that we've not experienced. There seems like there's something I'm reaching for, but I don't know what it is. The key is to know who you are in Christ. It really is, because when you know, everything changes. 
And there was a moment when Jesus was walking with his disciples and he started to talk to them in such a way that he began to reveal this truth with them. And I've heard this this particular passage preached in all sorts of different directions. But the, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, I want you to come from this angle. So I want you to hear it from this angle today. You may have heard it from many others. I want you to hear it in this angle. Because there was a moment that Jesus was walking with his disciples and he asked them a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do, this, who, do, who do people say I am? What's the word on the street? What are others saying about me? I'm going to, we're going to break this passage down. Matthew 16, verse 13. So when Jesus came into the region of, the, of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You know, Simon Peter at this moment didn't suddenly go into a Google search. You know, what, what, does, what does the world have to say about Jesus? He, he didn't look around at the rest of the disciples and they're looking at each other confused. Well, you know, how do we answer this incredible question? Jesus wasn't fishing for compliments. In fact, wherever Jesus went, every town, every village, every city... Every, every populated area, they knew who was coming. Very often before he got there, the disciples would go and prepare. And then as Jesus walked in, there was an incredible revival or there was an incredible amount of people where the whole city at times would come out and Jesus would heal them all. Don't you just love those moments in the Bible? And it says, he healed them all. A whole city, imagine the whole of, whole of gospel all turning out because Jesus is healing all. I'll tell you what, Pharaoh would soon get to hear about it. And so would Portsmouth. It, you imagine if every single person in gospel today got healed. I'll tell you what, Scotland would hear about it, wouldn't they, Stephen? <laughs> Very good. But they, the news about him travelled. Why, why, why did Jesus often say, tell no one what I've just done? Tell no one what I've just did for you? Because news was spreading of the healing power of God at work. But their response was this. They responded to Jesus' question, who do men say that I am, with the speculation of what the people had perceived about him that they had heard along the way. It wasn't what they felt, it was what they felt. And then he said in verse 14, he said, So they said, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and others say you're Jeremiah, and others say you're one of the prophets. In other words, there's a lot of opinion of who you might be. There's a lot of people saying this, that, and the other. There's a lot of people in this world who say there are many roads that lead to God. No, there's not. There's one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through me. There isn't a Peter, a James, and a John. There isn't a Muhammad and a da-da-da-da-da. There is one God, the one true God, and it's through him, through Jesus, what he did at the cross, that we go to eternal life. And it's putting our trust in him and putting our faith in him and walking out our journey in him 
that gets us to the place of what he's done for us. We don't have to do anything to be saved, but we should be walking in his ways because we are saved. If we're not walking in his ways because we're saved, we've got a question, are we saved? So he said, there are many opinions. I love the way that Peter, the, the spokesman, Peter steps up. But then Jesus, he wasn't satisfied with what they were saying the world had to say. Jesus wasn't satisfied that, that there were so many others' opinion. He wanted to press them a little bit more. I could walk around Gospel High Street asking every person that walked past me, who do you say that Jesus is? And I would have many opinions. He was a good man. Um, he was a, he's a fairy tale. He, he, he was a prophet. He was, he was a myth. He was um, a, a, a crutch to lean on. He, he was. There's many opinions of what the world would say. But I'm not after the opinions of the world. I'm after yours. I'm after what you say. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. He was saying, guys, it's interesting to hear what the world has to say, but now I want to hear what you have to say. What do you say? Who do you say? I am. And he says this in verse 15. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Before we can imagine the true scale of our spiritual union with Christ and our new identity in him, we've got to know, like Peter knew, who Jesus was. Who Jesus really is. But I want you to notice here, when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? They didn't turn around and say, well, you're Jesus, aren't you? They've been walking with Jesus. They'd eaten with Jesus. They'd done miracles with Jesus. They'd encountered dead people with Jesus. They'd, they'd eaten with the Pharisees with Jesus. But when Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? They didn't say, well, we know that you're Jesus. Something began to happen. It's like if I'm walking with Joe and we're walking down the road and Joe suddenly says, well, who, who am I? I said, well, you're Joe, aren't you? <laughs> I've only known you as Joe. Okay, maybe you're Joseph. Joseph, yes. I know you as Joe. I could come over here to Chinette or Camille. Yeah, or I could go, I could go, I could go, if I could remember, Loretta and Colleen. Same person? How much, how, hands up. If you've got, how, I don't know, how, if you've got two, two names that you use, um, you don't use your first name, you use your second name, or your. There's lots more of you in this room than just a few. I know that. Because I get so mixed up. I go to say hello to, and then I realize it's not, and it's somebody else. And yeah, yeah, lots of you. We're here. They've walked with Jesus. They've talked with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They've known Jesus. And he says, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And they say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What were they doing? They weren't identifying with the flesh. They were identifying with the spirit. 
the, if, they, if, he, if they were identifying with the flesh, they would say, Jesus, have you forgotten who you are? You've, we've walked with you. you you're Jesus. You're, you, 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 your name means Joshua in, the, in Hebrew. But he ident- they were identifying with who he was in the spirit. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Revelation hit Peter at that moment. It was powerful. It was life-changing. And I believe every one of us have got to get to that point. Do we still see Jesus of the Gospels? Or do we see Christ who changes our life, fills our life, and is the power source, the healing, the provision, the provider of everything in our life? Do we, do we identify with Jesus or Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, however you are. Do we just identify with the gospel Jesus, or who he was after his resurrection? I tell you, it is so important, and it is life-changing. Listen to this in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He addressed his flesh. Remember, this is Peter. He says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He addresses the flesh and then, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. He is saying, flesh and blood. Peter, I'm talking to the flesh and blood, the first Adam, the living being of who you are. You didn't get this in your flesh. It was from your spirit that the Father has revealed this to you. And then it goes on. And I also want to say to you, Peter, not Simon Barjona now, he's speaking to the spiritual man. All right, this is just so powerful. He says that you are Peter and on this rock, what rock? The spiritual, the the in Christ reality of who we now are, that transition from flesh to spirit, that transition from Simon Bar-Jonah to Peter, the spiritual man, he said, upon this rock, upon this moment, upon this revelation, upon the awareness of who you are in Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. You see, when we know who we are in Christ, when we know, see, this is the difference between the New Testament church and today church. We have forgotten who we are in Christ. When we begin to realize who we are in him again, we are a powerful force on the earth. We are salt and light, but we're not salt and light in our flesh. Salt and light may dwell in me, but in my flesh dwells no good thing. In my flesh, that I won't change the world. In my flesh, I can't heal a person. In my flesh, I can't provide. In my flesh, I am hopeless. But who I am in the spirit changes everything. And here, this is what Jesus is saying. And I also say to you, Peter, 
upon this rock, upon the revelation of who you are in Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on this earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on this earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because we are now one spirit with the Lord. And when we start to bind and loose on the earth, guess what? There is something happening in the heavenlies because we are doing something here with a divine connection through Jesus in the heavenlies. This is amazing. My preaching is better than your listening. Or you're so gobsmacked that you're thinking, what kind of a man is this? I don't know what's happening, but I know this is amazing and life change transforming. And when we get it, when we get this, it changes everything. See, Jesus showed Peter how important what he, his response was. His, you know, he was just thinking he was declaring something, saying something. The, the first thing that actually came to his mind, Peter was so responsive, it was probably the first thing that came to his mind. Well, you must be the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, but do you know what? How many times do we say something, but the Spirit of God is all over it? I wonder how many times when you say something to a friend, you, th- you just think you're sharing something with them, but the Spirit of God has dropped it in your heart and you're sharing a revelation, a spiritual input into their life. I don't know whether Peter may have had a holy moment and it's like, oh, I, uh, Jesus, I just, oh, I just... You are the son of God. You are the anointed one. I think Peter was more real and a bit more brash than that. And I think, I think you know, it surprised him. Because a few verses later, Jesus saying, <laughs> Peter saying, you're not going to go to the cross and I'm going to defend you all the way. And Jesus turned around and says, you don't know what spirit you are of. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, he goes from revelation and I'm the bee's knees and everyone's almost bowing down to Peter. You got it right. To, oh, how embarrassing. I hope no one heard that. Because one minute he's been revealed by his father in heaven and he thinks he's the bee's knees and then he operates in the flesh and he's got to eat humble pie before everyone around him. Let's be spiritual in our journey. His identity as the Christ, the son of the God, is the very rock upon which the church should be built. Some people say this and some people say that and some people say the other. Some people can take this and say, no, this is where the Catholic Church came from. No, no, no. It's the revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the hope for everybody else in this world. In verse 20, he says, Then he commanded his disciples that they should, they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. It's amazing, eh? He hadn't gone to the cross. At this moment, he's saying, please, just don't tell anybody because my work on earth is not done yet. Don't tell anybody else. You've got this revelation. But you know what? Still, the penny didn't drop fully until I believe that moment as Jesus was taken up and caught into the clouds that the revelation of he is the Christ, the son of the living God, See, that's why when the disciples in the New Testament, after Pentecost, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they have an encounter with God again. And all of a sudden, having been in the upper room, having denied Jesus, having, having run from the crowds, they, they gathered together, 120 in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came as a 
rushing mighty wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit came upon each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out. They didn't stay in their holy huddle. It's so nice. I love church. I love our assembly, the gathering of the body of Christ together. I love it. But the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to reach others. Not just so we feel good on the inside and we, we have our goosebump moments, we speak in tongues for five hours a day or however long you do. It's so he empowered us to live this life like Jesus. Because we could never live the life of Jesus without the spirit of Christ living in us. The works that I do, you shall do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father in heaven. But that all comes with knowing who you are in Christ. When we know who we are in Christ, the works that he did, we will do also. Oh, this is just, just picture what it would be like when we, when we truly get a revelation. When we truly receive this truth into our heart. Not in part, but in its fullness. Okay, maybe not in all its fullness, because once we get all its fullness, we'll probably be in heaven and we'll see Christ for who he is and we'll realise we're made in that same image and in his likeness. But walking in the revelation comes two ways. You want a revelation of who you are in Christ? It comes two ways. Are you wanting it? Are you desiring it? Are you, are you hungering for the knowledge of that truth? comes two ways the revelation of his word and revelation given by his spirit and when you compare when you combine the revelation seen in his word with the revelation of the holy spirit empowering his word to come alive in your heart then you have revealed knowledge and we all need revealed knowledge that the mystery, because it's also spoken of as a mystery, hidden in Christ before the foundation of the earth. I, I don't want it hidden anymore. <laughs> Michael, I, I'm sure you don't want it hidden anymore. You, it's like, oh, come out! This revelation hidden before the foundation of the earth, now revealed in, the, now revealed in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You want Revelation? You want to grow more? It's found in his word. And as the Holy Spirit reveals the word to our life. We can see why Paul turned around this and, and, and said this in Romans 5.17. That we can reign in life, in this life, through the one Jesus Christ. That's why we can reign. Because it does, it literally changes everything. There was nothing on earth that caused Jesus not to reign over it. When someone came to him who had leprosy, he touched them and the lepers were made whole. And yet leprosy was the, the killer of the day. When someone came to him and they were a lunatic, completely out of their mind, touched their life or spoke to their life and they were brought into their right mind. The madman of Gadara. There wasn't 
one thing that Jesus didn't reign over. Even his life at the cross. If Jesus at the cross hadn't said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he would have continued living, dying on the cross. Because he reigned in life. He would have continued living, dying on the cross. I laid down my life. Why did he, Why could he reign? Because he was God in the flesh. Why can we reign? Because God lives in the flesh. And we can operate out of the spirit. He lives in our spirit, not in the flesh. He lives in our spirit. And out of that, we live in this world. In this life, we reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. In the early church, this is what they said of the early church. In Acts 17, verse 6, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You imagine if, I, if, if, if right now in this room, we had that same revelation as they did there. And we went out into our world this week. Gospel, which Gospel, Fairham, Porchester, wherever you, 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 your dwelling places, this town and area would be changed. Because Christ in you, and you knowing that Christ is in you, can change the world we live. Because that is exactly what they did in the early church. I'm going to finish with this. The question which Jesus asked his disciples is now, in many senses, reversed. Jesus is asking us today, who do you say you are? Who do you say you are? Are you Jonathan? Are you Loretta? Are you a Margaret? Are you a Jerry? Or do you see yourself first as in Christ Jesus? Do we still recognize ourselves as being flesh and blood? Or do we recognize ourselves first hidden in Christ? Just going to summarize the whole thing. For those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we were all born of the flesh. Adam started it all. He blew it in the Garden of Eden, and there was a separation between God and man. But God loved mankind so much, he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life and receive him as Lord and Savior in his life, in their life. And today, the Bible is very clear. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that simple. Jesus loves you. He came to earth as a man and died for you. He died in our place. We could never deal with the penalty of sin, the mistakes that we've made. But Jesus died on our behalf. But he didn't stay dead. He rose up from the grave. He arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And because he triumphed over the work of the enemy, he now made a way for everyone to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
and to receive him as their Lord and Saviour. And I'm going to finish with the prayer. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. You may have prayed it before, but never understood why. You may never have prayed this prayer. Today may be the first time. But it says, if you confess with your mouth or you pray and you ask Jesus to come into your heart, he will. And he begins that change. The old things are gone, behold, all things are new. So let's pray together this morning. If you would pray this after me, and uh, let's pray it nice and loud for anybody in the room that may be praying this prayer for the very first time or coming back to God in their life. Jesus, I want to thank you for the revelation of your word. I want to thank you that you came to save me, that you gave your life for me. You took my sin and my wrong. And today you've given me a choice to accept you and receive you or not to do so. My heart, Lord Jesus, is to open it for you that you may come in and make your home in my life. Jesus, I receive you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every head is bowed and every eye closed in this room. If you prayed that prayer today and you've heard what was said and you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand as if to say, yes, I've prayed that prayer. One, two, three. If you prayed that this morning, you genuinely thank you, I'll see that hand. I thank you, I'll see that hand. Is there anybody else in the room who say, yes, count me in? I want to know you more. I want to have your spirit living in mine. There's two people in this room that have said yes to Jesus this morning. Is there anybody else? I'm going to count down from five. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you. For those that have made a response to you this morning, whether it's a response to the word or a response to salvation, I thank you, Father, that your hand is upon each one. Lord, you said there is such rejoicing in heaven. And we rejoice here on earth, seeing lives journeying with you. And Father, I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room that's heard these series of thoughts and today's message, Lord, that we would take a hold of your word and Holy Spirit, you would illuminate, that you would make alive your word in our heart, that we would know, just as Paul said, that we would know you, that we would know the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, that we would know you and walk in the revelation of this truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.